the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. A 2013 Harris poll revealed 23% of all Americans classify themselves as nuns. That is, not having any formal religious affiliation. Some reflect the growing secularization of society, others reacting to scandals within religious institutions. But many simply cite a sense of disengagement with traditional religious practices. In this episode of Challenge 2.0, The Nuns, we'll visit with one of the founding leaders of Contemplative Outreach, which seeks to reinvigorate the ancient monastic practice of silent prayer, both as a response to disengagement from faith and from each other. Well, we're very fortunate today. I feel very fortunate to have with us Father Carlo Rico, one of the founding members, as we noted in the introduction of Contemplative Outreach, mm -hmm. and you have done retreats and workshops not only throughout the United States, but abroad as well. Correct. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Let's begin with the question that we heard in the introduction, and that is, we frequently hear the statement these days, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. What does that mean to you? It means a wonderful revolution is going on. Because I think we've come to a point in our development as a society that we cannot take religion for granted anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, people stating the fact that they're spiritual, not religious, are causing all of us to take a step back and begin to celebrate what is religion mm -hmm. and what is spirituality. So I see it as a blessing and not as a crisis. And I also see the fact that recently one of the polls says that among Roman Catholics, 50% of those 30 and under are known nuns. Okay, so this is a wonderful opportunity to rethink things. Not necessarily to rethink what we teach, mm -hmm. but, reth but yeah, part of that, but rethink more about the fact, are we really presenting what is rich in our tradition as religious people mm -hmm. and what is important and what has been around for centuries? We, I don't think we've done a good job really of presenting the richness of our faith and so on. So I see this as a wonderful opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, when a person says they're spiritual, everybody's spiritual because everyone has down deep inside themselves, I really believe, a yearning for happiness, a yearning to have meaning in their life, and also a yearning to, to belong and to believe in something. So this is a wonderful opportunity because they're coming with an open mind to check on everything. And it's just up to the church or religious groups to say, listen, we have something to offer. Have you really come in and seen what we're, we have <laughs> or are you judging this on maybe religious training for about your, till you're about 12 or 13 years of age? Or are you listening to the media that mm -hmm. certainly is not open to present the goodness of things, but to taint things a little more? I see it as a golden opportunity. It's been said that for some, religious practice is of sorts an insurance policy. Uh, is that a fair statement? And are we being called both inwardly and outwardly? And I get the sense from what you've said already that we are, to realize that 
faith is more of a search than it is something to be held on to. Well, I don't mind it being an insurance policy. I have an insurance policy, and I, I don't live by my insurance policy, mm -hmm. but I know when there's a problem, I have somebody behind me to tell, mm -hmm. take care of the bills and everything. So I don't see anything wrong with having an insurance policy. You know, you, you just, if you're too spontaneous in what you do in life, you can be caught many times mm -hmm. off guard and you wish you had prepared for something ahead of time. Does that make sense to you? It do does. you have an insurance policy? I do indeed. I have one too, yeah. you know, and that's important. But the point is actually, if you just take your insurance policy out every day and read it and say, I'm okay, then you put it away mm -hmm. and take it out the next day, I'm okay, and put it away. That, if that's your religious practice, that it just says, take a look at your insurance policy and put it away, you don't live life. You're not open to the surprises of life. Mm -hmm. So you know it's there, you honor it, but you in a certain sense know that spirituality is not found in religious practices. Mm -hmm. The spirituality of one's life, the best definition I heard was by this teacher in Rome. And I was taking this course, and his name was Herbie Alfonso. He was an Indi a priest from India. And he defined spirituality as how a man or woman who is alive with an understanding that there's a higher power within them, and for us that would be the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. within our tradition, how they act and react habitually and spontaneously to the every days of their uh, the days of their life mm -hmm. according to their gifts and their calling in life so right away he puts it in a larger framework that is that day in and day out habitually living out what you need to live out shows the values that you are prominent in in, in your life so act and react mm -hmm. because all of us know we have some days are which are not our best i laugh at people sometimes to say to me you know i'm not myself today i laugh i say yes you are yourself yeah. today because something's coming to the surface that you need to look at mm -hmm. that needs either to be healed or forgiven or celebrated more in in your life this change in terms of viewing it as a search uh, is not a new thing. No. Uh, it's been going on for decades. And I think to the story uh, told by Father Thomas Keating, uh, one of the great spiritual leaders, right. one of the founders of Contemplative Outreach, a friend of yours who right. passed away just last fall, yes. uh, told when he was the abbot out in Massachusetts, I believe yeah. it was, right. that he began to recognize there were some young people that frequently would attend religious services, mass, yeah. uh, that would stop and ask for directions to go to a nearby Buddhist monastery. Can you tell us more about that and uh, <laughs> what that told him and what it led to? Well, it turned out actually that uh, percentage-wise, 70% uh, or 75% were Roman Catholics and the rest were Protestants or Jewish and also Jewish people. And he was saying, why are 75% of the people going down the other end? When we ha what, what are we, chop meat? Uh, don't we have something to offer? And what happened was he began to realize what happens is we make the entry, the key, too confusing. And so that's when he and the two monks decided really to look at our tradition and put the practice of resting in God's presence in a simpler form and came up with what's called centering prayer, which is a contemporary prayer reflecting 2,000 years of tradition of the fact that 
you can rest in God's presence and allow God to bathe your feet. You can't be in charge all the time. What parallels are there in that story to your experience? Well, of course, uh, I became a priest in 1960, so next year I'll be celebrating my 60th anniversary. So I've been around a while, and so I've seen a lot in the 60 years. What I learned to learn uh, in myself or was the lesson is the fact that change, interruptions, surprises, and disappointments are a wonderful way to keep the water from getting stagnant. Mm -hmm. And in my own journey, um, I went through the time before Vatican II, which was mass in Latin, and, and a strict uh, priest stands up there as the big shot, you know. And then Vatican II came, and the awareness actually that the church and the people of God uh, are very much part of the journey. And in, in that, in a certain sense, experienced something that was very rich. But the big point was when all of a sudden I decided that in my prayer, mm -hmm. I don't have to just say prayers, think about prayers, respond from my heart. I need to shut up and sit quietly and allow God to work on me on a much deeper level. Because my antenna as a human being can never access what's done in silence because on, in that frequency, many times things are stirred up in the wonderful dynamic of our humanity that brings to light things that need to be healed, forgiven, or celebrated more. So it's getting in touch with, a, with the technicolor of life rather than just the black and white. And so once you made that connection, once you began to realize that that was a new path that was open to you, where did it lead you? Tell us how you got from that point to where you are today. Well, with prayer. You know, in the Roman Catholic Catechism, in the beginning of the section on prayer, it says, in order to truly belong, in order to truly believe, in order to truly to worship, it needs to be built on a personal relationship with your God. Mm -hmm. And that's come through prayer. So what happened actually, when I went to the monastery for a retreat, uh, all of a sudden, one of the monks presented uh, the enrichment of prayer by saying, you know, prayer is not just saying your prayers, thinking about your prayers, praying from your heart, but to allow in the resting to God to work on you on a deeper level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's not just external. You know, we have levels of awareness in our life. You know, there's the ordinary level of awareness that in our life where you go about your business every day and that's all you do, go about your mm -hmm. business every day. Then you have that other level, the psychological level, that opens you to pay attention to your, your emotions, your reaction, uh, the surprises. And that moves you into the spiritual level where you begin to realize that I wasn't just created out of gas, that there had to be something in the universe to give me all these gifts that I have at this moment and functioning. And you begin to aware that you're be, you become aware of the fact you're being held by your, somebody's holding you. That wonderful little prayer that went around for a while, I think it's still there, uh, two sets of footprints on the sand. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden there was only one, and the author says, didn't you know you were being carried? I mean, we're not on our own, for goodness sakes. And you began to encounter some like-minded people, Father yes. Thomas Keating, so. and tell us where that led then. 
Well, he was able really to all of a sudden tell uh, the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. What was that man, that commentator that had that line? Now the rest Paul of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. Right. So he was a Paul Harvey in a certain sense of the spiritual journey. Because you remember what Paul Harvey would do? He would tell the story with all the facts that you knew. And then he would say, we pause for a commercial. And now we'll tell you the rest of the story. And what happened actually is when he told the rest of the story, it made what you knew, mm -hmm. didn't deny it, but made it be seen in a much deeper, deeper life. So when he opened us in his teaching to the contemplative dimension of Christianity, uh, to the going beyond, as I said, just reading, reflecting, responding, mm -hmm. uh, to be aware really of all the things that happen when you really say yes, uh, and he made sense because he knew psychology and knew the tradition. Well, it was that rest of the story that was very beautiful. And that speaks, I think, to what one theologian, I think it was Karl Rahner, said that in the future people will either be mystics or they'll not be religious at all. Absolutely, because the mystic is a strange word. Mm -hmm. And all the mystic really means technically is the fact the person who sees the larger picture. Uh, there's a story I love to tell to demonstrate that. When I was in the second grade, I had a wonderful teacher, Mrs. Schoner, and um, she went to the blackboard. Now, this is second grade. This mm -hmm. is a long time ago, and I still remember it, you know. So don't you ever think that something you say is not going to be remembered? You'd be surprised. Yes. In it pops life. up. Okay. So, so she went to the blackboard, and she put a little white dot on the blackboard. And she said to us kids, you know, our children, the children, um, what do you see? Well, I, at least the boys had the answer too, because usually in the second grade, the girls seem to have the answers before the boys. So they all raised our hands and say, the white dot, the white dot, you know. And uh, then she, we felt so proud for ourselves. <laughs> and then she says, doesn't anyone see the blackboard? So the mystic is the one that sees the blackboard. So like say today in our own history, whatever is going on, it's only a white dot mm -hmm. in a larger picture. And if uh, my favorite uh, uh, class was always history. And our, I had a history professor that really touched me deeply. And he would always say to us when something was going on, gentlemen, gentlemen, let me point out something that happened in the 13th century was that was just like what's going on now. Mm -hmm. you, know, you wait long enough, it all passes because it's, everything is cyclical. There are no dead ends in our history or in our life. That's why we, we should never give up on anybody or anything or any group at any time. Change is always possible. Always possible. When you talk about seeing that bigger picture, the blackboard as opposed to that white right. dot, uh, that seems like a good lead-in to contemplative outreach, contemplation. When most people hear of the word contemplation, I think, without any other background, they think of focused attention and consideration. Right. What does contemplation mean to you? The larger picture. It's the blackboard. And when you look at, when you look at contemplation, you can look at it in, in many different ways, okay? There's acquired contemplation and infused contemplation. Acquired contemplation is what I do in order to try to see the oneness of everything 
that's going on now, that we, how connected we are. There is no really disconnect. Mm -hmm. You might disconnect in your mind. You might feel that you're a separate group, but there is no disconnect at all. There is a oneness in humanity and nature and everything, the air, it's part of your life. So you have to, in a certain sense, work at coming to that realization. Mm -hmm. So that would be acquired. And that acquired really could be either by your concentration or by your receptivity. So you can keep intellectualizing there's a oneness. Mm -hmm. There's a oneness. I know there's a oneness. You know that? There's a oneness between us. You know that. Okay. But I can also move into uh, the receptivity of having, knowing that there's a oneness, to allow that to percolate on its own level, to move from the rational mm -hmm. into the intuitive. And in the intuitive is where the spirit works. What we feel in our gut and what we sense without reasoning about it, although it's reasonable, mm -hmm. we become aware of it in that sense. It's what, it's what you kind of feel like uh, um, when you go to see art or hear poetry or how you're kind of like overwhelmed watching a golf tournament where this unknown all of a sudden holds his, his own against the big shots, you know. And there's an intuitive sense, I'm one with that person. I share what that person is experiencing at this time. But then there's the, not only the acquired, but there's the infused. That's a grace from God, mm -hmm. where he takes it from our ordinary consciousness and moves it to a deeper level that you don't even sense yourself. People sense there's a change in you. Most of the time we work on trying to be better, mm -hmm. but we get surprised sometimes when somebody points out to us that we are better. And you'll say, where did that come from? Well, shut your mouth. You're coming from <laughs> something greater than yourself that's working in you. Unless, unless in a certain sense you don't see yourself as more than just a human being. So you alluded to that, but what in a larger sense does that offer us and what does it demand from us in terms of developing that sort of relationship then? All of me. Why not take all of me? Can't you see I'm <laughs> no good without you? You took the part that once was my heart, so why not take all of me? It's a complete change of mindset mm -hmm. that can be supported by many different practices and teaching as Father Thomas does in contemplative outreach, you know, especially alerting people that when you rest in the silence, there's an unloading of the unconscious that takes place and it begins to make some space, leave it, having you get rid of your agenda in a, to a certain sense and mm -hmm. making room for uh, agenda greater than yourself. I can go into the details of it if you want me to, but that's that's what that's about. I do want to talk about that, but it seems to me that from what we've been hearing to this point, it seems to redefine the very nature of the practice of faith. Well, yes. <laughs> it turns you upside down. Uh, you're dealing with thoughts. And as you've already mentioned, we're assailed with those. It suggests they have, by themselves, a very definite power. Mm -hmm. How would you describe that? Well, it's been best described by the, a desert father. A desert father was a wise person who lived in a desert back in the fourth century. And there's some wonderful wisdom 
uh, that comes from our elders, you know, that, that we should listen to more. But he, his point was very powerful. Thoughts lead to desires. Desires lead to passion. Passion leads to action. You're never going to change your actions. You're never going to change your passions. And you're never going to change your desires mm -hmm. unless you're able to change your thoughts. So in the process of centering prayer and letting them come and letting them go, you're making a room perhaps to create a new way of thinking that will give you new life and help you in a certain sense weaken the other thoughts that had such a hold on you mm -hmm. so that your actions can in a certain sense show fruitfulness and newness. You talked about perhaps going into greater detail and I think this is a good time of that uh, right. for that. You've been a teacher, a guide for the practice of centering prayer. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and then as you tell us about that, how have you managed to sustain your practice for so many years? Well, the prayer itself is a prayer of consent. That's the key. I consent to God's presence and God's action in my life. And in that consent, two things seem to happen to most people. There's an affirmation of their basic goodness. Mm -hmm. Before they were told all sorts of things about what they were like or who they were like. But from the perspective of a contemplative, the fact that we exist, we are basically good. And in the, the viewpoint of a Christian, we're made in the image and likeness of God. No one can take that away from us. Nothing can separate us from God. Mm -hmm. So that's an affirmation of that. And as you're consenting to God's presence and action in your life, there's a purification that takes place. We get in touch with our ego, our centeredness, our, our demands, our addictions, whatever they may be, and know in a certain sense that that doesn't define us, mm -hmm. that we can be free of that. It's like the 12-step program, you know, that begins to open themselves more and more to allowing, if I look really good at myself and, de and depend on a higher power, changes can take place in my life. And we just have to look at the success of the 12-step to know there's something very valid really about that that's going on in life. I think that's been called one of the greatest contributions of American spirituality to the world, 12-step program. Absolutely. And it was based on Ignatian teaching, mm -hmm. you know, in many ways. And it's so, it's so into that tradition. I'm glad it has become like ecumenical. So why argue about the name, mm -hmm. you know, higher power, Jesus, whatever it is. Now, for someone who loves Jesus, it's very important and it's not going to settle for higher power. But someone who doesn't know, it gives them an opportunity to begin to explore the fact actually that they're not walking, walking alone. So every day when a person enters into the prayer and rests for 20 minutes consenting to God's presence in action, looking like you're doing nothing, a lot is happening mm -hmm. because you're accessing some greater power that's in you already as a human being. You know, I always chuckle with people. I say to them, we only use 10% of our brain. And you think we're high tech now? If we're only using 10% of our brain, what's ahead of us? And as far as the end of the world is concerned, we got to get up to 100% before he pulls the plug. So we're talking about, essentially for each of us, an evolution of who we are, what we can be, what we can do, but it's essentially in relationship or in community. Right. So how have you sustained your practice? You mentioned that this is something 
twice a day, 20 minutes, and there seems to be that commonality uh, in whatever the faith that practices some right. form of meditation. Right. But how have you sustained that? What is key for you to keep going in that? First of all, the realization that if I get up and start thinking about the day, I will never make time to be able to do, do mm -hmm. the prayer. So when I wake up, it's the first thing I do. And uh, with all the travel that I do, it's a wonderful way of sustaining the fact that who, 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 you remember uh, Tally Savalas used to say, who loves you, baby? Remember with his lollipop yes. in his mouth? Well, to me, that's, that's my, that's Tally Savalas saying to me, who loves you, baby? And right away I realized, my God, when everything is said and done, mm -hmm. what, it, what is left in life? Either emptiness or the realization that God's been sustaining you in all these years. So I do that out of love. And also, too, I'm open really to the fact that throughout the day, um, I, I, I sort of embrace that with Lexio Divina, which is a way of praying, praying the scriptures. But a short answer would be how it's changed me to have more space in my life, to be, learn to be more inclusive, less judgmental, more loving, and look at my junk. What Own my junk if I'm too selfish or too demanding or I was demanding always to be in control, you know or needed to have affection and be praised by people, mm -hmm. or needed in a very special way not to take any chances. Because really, the big struggle in the, in the spiritual journey, no matter what journey it is, is dealing what we call our energy centers. Mm -hmm. And those energy centers are power and control, affection, esteem, security, and survival. I feel like we've just started to immerse ourselves in this subject. Uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us, and there is such a wealth of information for us to talk about and discuss that we're going to come back for part two. And so I hope that you'll join us next week on the next part of this discussion with Father Carlo Rico for Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, please give us five stars and leave a review. If you can also tell one friend about the show, that would be great. You can find us on social media at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more and financially support the show at pathstounderstanding.org. The program is hosted by executive producer Jeff Renner, produced by Tom Butterworth and John Sharifi. Cameras and audio by Rich McAdams, Tom Butterworth, and Dean Puccio. Ian Olson is the production assistant.